it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you. We want to thank you for having us locked in, whether you're listening on the radio or have us downloaded on the free Sound of Mobile app that you can download to any Apple or Android device. We look forward to corresponding and hearing from you. And, of course, today we do have a great show scheduled for you. Reggie Smith, he is the center at South Alabama, plays center for the Jaguars football program. He's going to join us around 3.30 at 4 o'clock. Lindsey Crosby will join us. The Atlanta Braves got some good news today in regards to having the All-Star game return to Atlanta. We'll talk to him about that in postseason baseball awards. We'll talk to Mandy Armstrong. She is the women's basketball coach in Monroeville for Coastal Alabama. Then we have our Gulf Coast Auto Tech show with Luke Robinson and Ansley Ainsley Lee from AL.com that will be covering the Tide and Tigers from 5 to 6 o'clock. So busy show on this Thursday afternoon hope everybody's had a great day so far and the breaking news every single day it seems that you hear about Jim Harbaugh and the Jim Harbaugh situation with the stealing of the signs by Mr. Stallion where today they have officially decided that they're going to go ahead and put an end to the litigation that's going down with coach Harbaugh and I know that he will serve his three-game suspension. He served one last week versus Penn State. He's officially going to serve the next two games against Maryland along with Ohio State, and that way they don't have to get into the courtroom, and they've decided to resolve their disagreement so they don't have any more litigation uh, due to the alleged stealing of the signs by one Mr. Stallion. So, I mean, Nick, I really did think that Coach Harbaugh was going to go against the grain here and continue to fight this until the end or until the courthouse on Friday, but they decided to go ahead and he's going to accept that three-game suspension. Yeah, I mean, look, the guy's fought against so many weird suspensions and penalties at this point. I think he just could care less. He sees how his team played against Penn State without him there. So I think he's feeling about as comfortable as you can uh, that his team can still be successful even if he's not on the sidelines. And, you know, with him being able to practice and uh, still do basically everything but be on the sideline of the game, you know, which honestly, you're obviously it's important, but, you know, the players aren't really interacting with the head coach that much. So you know, during the game. So, I mean, look, Jim, I think they've, in a way that they have won because I think Jim Harbaugh is just completely done. If their end goal is to force him out of the Big Ten and force him out of college football, I mean, they're winning. He'll, he'll be in the NFL. 
he ultimately won. I mean, you look at him still being able to to practice and participate throughout the week. Yeah, but is it a win though if you're still like the punishment is still even if the punishment is maybe yeah, a little it's more a wax win. than we thought, but he's still getting the punishment. Yeah, it's a win for him. I could see if he was banned from being around his team. The only thing he's missing is the two and a half hours to three hours that he loves being with his guys and leading them out of that tunnel. But, I mean, do you think it's really punishment not to coach against East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Maryland, Penn State, yeah. and Ohio State, two of the biggest that rivals is, for Michigan? Yes, a punishment. And let's also go back. I mean, nothing has even been ruled yet so we're a little early on all this i don't even know why he's being punished at all at this point but i mean in terms of like the possible punishments it's not that bad but it is still a punishment well i think that you take that just because he's not going to dispute the fact that stallion was seen and he was on that staff not yeah, that he had any wrongdoing, not that he had admitted that he knew or was aware of what went on because he has not said that, and right. the university has not said that. So I think that to go ahead and play the game without playing the game, I, I, I think that you, you, if you're Coach Harbaugh, you'll go ahead and you'll continue to take this because now it's going to be a closed chapter because now what you're going to wait is for the NCAA, however long it takes them to figure out what they want the punishment to be, what they're able to dig up and find. And it's going to be plenty after the season's over, whether Michigan wins a Big Ten championship, whether they win a national championship or not, is yet to be determined. But if for some reason they do, that punishment is just going to come with an asterisk. That's all that's going to happen. So by all means, if you can put this particular distraction behind you, Go ahead, because now there's nothing to be asked of Coach Harbaugh besides we, what would have been the difference if you lose to Ohio State or you lose to Maryland? What would have been the difference if you were on the field? But the university has to felt good with it because if not, they would have been in that courthouse on Friday filing an injunction and waiting. Yeah. So you have to, if you're Michigan, you have to say, okay, there had to be some type of agreement by Coach Harbaugh, by the University of Michigan to say, yes, we are going to take some type of accountability and responsibility for the actions of one of our employees, one of our former employees. And if you look at those actions, whether you say that it's him or not, whether he admits to it or not, that being Stallion with the sign stealing, Michigan is still taking accountability by having him serve the suspension because you can't take the suspension. Once he misses those games, he misses those games. He's not coming back. He's not going to be able to get those games back. So to me, it's not coming out and having an admission of guilt. It's saying I'm going to take responsibility. The university athletics department is going to take responsibility for one of its former employees. And I can live with that. I can live with that. I just think that you don't want that cloud to be hovering over them if they continue to win, if they're able to move forward here in this college football playoff, a win against Ohio State, who is second in the polls right now. I think that would be huge. Yeah, I mean, it definitely would be huge. But 
Look, man, as Jim Harbaugh said, and you tell me if you agree, this is America's team. They, they're battling through all this adversity, and they're still having success. Is that not the storyline that everyone wants? Or do you see Michigan, Jim Harbaugh, and their team is kind of like a villain of college football? Or are they, you know, the good guy and the man is just trying to keep them down, but they're resilient and they keep fighting back? <laughs> what do you think the narrative is there in your perspective? I think that you use any edge possible as a head coach, whether it's Coach Saban talking about rat poison, whether it's Kirby Smart last year saying nobody expected them to repeat nobody expected them to win you use any psychological edge possible if you want to call yourself america's team and that's what you want your players to believe that everybody's for them then go right ahead if you feel the ncaa we call that the man the man in the ncaa is trying to hold you back or hold you down and you're able to win despite the fact, by all means, whatever edge makes you feel better as a program, I'm just glad that this particular chapter by the Big Ten is officially closed. Do I think this NCAA investigation is resolved? No way. I think that this is just one that the Big Ten commissioner, Mr. Petiti, he's getting his way and stepping in showing to other Big Ten members that, yes, I am capable of doing my job. Yes, I did do my job, and there was a suspension brought forth. Coach Harbaugh served that suspension and is serving that suspension. So what can you say as a commissioner that he did not do right? Because he had the authority as the commissioner to do that based on what they felt was lack of institutional control but the pressure coming from other conference members now is is lightened off the big 10 commissioner i think he's done his job whether it's alleged allegations or not if michigan didn't believe in them they would have fought this with every ounce of energy that they had especially when you have penn state and ohio state still left on your schedule right well, but, and, you know, um, I, America's team, no. May, and maybe there was a little more going on than what we know already because, you know, Jim and Michigan, they accept the suspension, and in return, the conference is completely closing the investigation. Not that they really came to an official result on it anyway, but, you know, maybe they were like, hey, I'd go ahead and take the suspension because we're going to keep digging, and you don't want us to find something even worse. You know, well, so. the NCAA is going to keep digging. The Big Ten is just going to close that chapter. Right, right. So, from a Big Ten standpoint, like I said, the commissioner won. He won the favor of other athletic directors and of other members of the Big Ten. The NCAA is going to continue to do NCAA things, and they're going to continue to try to flex their muscle, regardless of what happens with Michigan on the football field for the remainder of the season. And that's what I think is the interesting point about all of this. Yeah, I agree, man. Look, we'll see how it goes. Um, I mean, I think Michigan still has a great shot at being, um, you know, Big Ten champions, beating Ohio State, being in that playoff, because only one of them are going to get in. Um, 
And, man, they're battling through the adversity. Like you said, they got the storyline and the narrative to fire up that locker room. When you already saw the assistant coach boo-hoo crying after they beat Penn State, you, you would have thought that Jim Harbaugh got in, like, a car accident or something the way he was reacting at the end. But, no, everyone's healthy, thankfully. But, I mean, they're obviously passionate, and they want to win for their guy, Jim. So, Nick, I mean, I think, think it's going to work out. do you think Michigan can win the national championship? Yeah. Do you think they can? That's who I picked to win it. So you're you're with the Michigan Wolverines all the way through. Mm. Yeah. I, right. I, I think if they get in, I think that, you know, now they're fired up. They just got to beat Ohio State. That's going to be the real tell, depending on how that game against Ohio State goes. And honestly, that game might decide who is the national champion whether it be Ohio State or Michigan. But I think Georgia has some chinks in the armor a little bit. Uh, I think that Alabama, you know, we, we look at them with a microscope, right, all season. We obviously know that there's a couple chinks in their armor. So but, I would – But I is that, are those chinks continuing to lessen? Because there, there, there were some loose ends to where you could see through the armor – yeah. Early on. No, I mean, they're, they definitely been buffing them out uh, as the season's progressed, but every other team has too, right? You know, at the beginning of the season, every team has holes, and then you get better week by week as it progresses. So, you know, it's not just Alabama who's gotten better as a team. It's not just Georgia who's getting better. All these teams are getting better, you know, it, as long as their roster is healthy for the most part. And and do you know where that game is being played in a week and a half? I don't. That game is going to be in Ann Arbor. So Oh yeah. You you That's put Michigan's you, you put it at you know in Ann Arbor, Michigan Stadium. I, I think that that's where the benefit lies there for the Michigan Wolverines. Now, if it's on the road at Ohio State and you're you're coaching without Coach Harbaugh, that's a whole different story. But everything remains the same up until 11 o'clock a.m. on Saturday morning when Coach Harbaugh can't jump up and touch that big blue banner when they run out of the tunnel. Everything else remains the same for them. Now, he Not having to worry, I mean, up until Friday night, even early that Saturday morning, it's game day. He just can't be on the sidelines for it. But, I mean, he's still right there at, at his house, at his crib. So Yeah, that crowd's going to be fired up, man. They oh, are going to be fired I mean, up. It's going to be hell for Ohio State in that stadium on that game. It's really going to be a tough one. That's why I love rivalry week that's getting ready to occur next week. And, and it's going to be a lot of shakedown Saturday, shake-up Saturday yes. that's coming up here in college football and, and as we're staying in college football speaking of college football playoff eligible teams we know that this past Sunday Jameis Winston started taking snaps for the Saints due to Derek Carr's injury but Florida State is going to retire Jameis Winston's jersey you have in to, honor right? the 2013 national championship team what you think about that you have to I mean I don't how many Heisman Trophy winners has come out of Florida State? Well, let me ask you this. Besides Charlie Ward uh, and Chris Winkie, I, I think that you've had Heisman Trophy winners that have been there. It's just a matter of being a national champion. But I'll tell you who can be there. 
Wouldn't it be pretty interesting if Jimbo Fisher showed up for that honor ceremony? It's not like he doesn't have enough time to do so. Sure. He probably will be there, honestly. I mean, uh, why not? I mean, that was his guy for a long time. They reached a lot of success together. The reason that Jimbo is getting paid $70 million not to work is because of what him and Jameis were able to accomplish. Um, But, look, I think think it should probably be an unspoken rule that if you have a player that gets a Heisman Trophy for your team, that number needs to be retired. Um, well, well, they it, it, according to what Florida State's do does, Florida State began retiring jerseys rather than numbers in okay. 1997, according to this ESPN right. yeah, it's, article. It's different than like in the NBA where you know you can't wear number 23 if you play for Chicago. And I think pretty, I'm pretty sure Florida's current quarterback is wearing Tim Tebow's old number, number 15. And if anyone, any college player should have a number be retired, it would probably be Tim Tebow, right? You know, toward the top of the list. So, I mean, jersey retired, number retired. I mean, with so many college kids coming in and being on a roster, you probably can't really retire too many numbers, right? There's only 99 of them, uh, or 100 of them, I guess. But. Yeah, I mean, it's good that Jameis is getting that uh, love. I mean, right, I think if you have, if you just look, you know, with the most recent history, you think of Jameis Winston as the backup quarterback. You think of the memes. You think of Tampa Bay, 30 touchdowns, 30 picks. You think of crab legs. But the only reason that he is part of these memes is because he did achieve superstardom at his time in college, which did lead him to be the first overall pick in the draft. And I'm going to say this. Regardless of what decision he made with the the crab legs at Florida State, Jameis Winston has done so much for Hueytown and the city of Birmingham and kids in general and giving back. He's one that will literally give you the shirt off of his back. You don't hear negative connotations when it comes with him giving back to his community and his former high school and the kids at Florida State. Jameis Winston is one of those givers and not takers in life and and like i say there's only so many people that can say they walk the planet as the overall number one pick and Jameis winston is that we'll we'll hear from coach saban coach saban nick saban he weighs in about the ncaa and their recruitment as well as with it being thursday he chimed in on pat mcafee he had some pretty interesting things to say today we'll touch on those next here on the final drive Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSD. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins, and love to hear from Coach Saban and get his thoughts. Sometimes when you see and have big recruits in for the weekend off of other sports, It takes other coaches because there's been so many times when basketball players have come to campus and their parents want to meet and talk to Coach Saban or whether it's someone wanting to meet and talk to Bruce Pearl at Auburn. And you have gymnastics champions who are coming on campus and their parents want to meet head coaches of other sports. It's something to where as a successful institution, you always lend your services and your help to recruits. And Pat McAfee was 
talking about the recruitment of a particular basketball player who just committed to Texas. And Coach Saban chimed in a little bit about how Coach McAfee, Pat McAfee, might have tried to get him in trouble. Closer in recruiting uh, because it's been documented in movies and obviously on the football field. You're pretty good. You're pretty good. Any of the ex-guys uh, ever get recruited to recruit guys for you? Or, like, for instance, uh, Trey uh, Johnson, Ke- Johnson uh, committed to Texas basketball yesterday on our show. He worked out with Kevin Durant this past offseason. Kevin Durant, obviously, Texas legend. There might have been a chance that Kevin Durant was like, hey, Texas is a great place to go, is everything. Do you utilize that in recruiting with the boys uh, that have been through Alabama? Now you're trying to get me in trouble with the NCAA because you're not supposed to use alumni <laughs> influence players. Um, so I have to say, no, we never do. What? The NCAA, we're not going to get in. Actually, there's a question right yeah, now. Sure. Tone has one for you. Uh, that is bananas, by the way. Yeah. Can't use a Yeah, these guys that uh, came in as 17-year-olds, their family trusted me to grow them into adults and men, and uh, they became first-round draft picks and now have completely changed the trajectory of their entire family tree. Yeah, those guys aren't allowed to tell you, like, yeah, cool place to go. Yeah, that's great Yeah, experience. because the NCAA says that type of information is a bad one. Okay. The N- I'm not – you're on the screen, so I won't get too ridiculous because because obviously your greatest college football coach of all time. But boy, there's some dumb stuff coming out of that four-letter organization. Nick, dumb stuff out of the four-letter organization, that organization being the NCAA. You agree with that? Um, I mean, I think you can tell by Nick Saban's answer that it happens, right? You know, whether... I mean, it's not like they probably even have to ask anyone. You know what I mean? Like, if you went to Alabama, you made it to the NFL, it was a good experience. You're going to tell younger people that are also considering it, hey, yeah, you should probably do it. That, it worked for me. Um, I still just can't get over Nick Saban still not getting a better microphone than the microphone on his MacBook. <laughs> I mean, the, you're on TV every week. The the situation as far as from alumni, NFL players – Alabama has a recruit coming in next season from Germany. And as the NFL was in Germany these last couple of weeks, two former Alabama alum were able to meet this young man from Germany and sit down and talk to them about what to expect. They were able to bounce ideas off of what to expect coming to the capstone in Tuscaloosa and also the kind of person that Coach Saban is. But there's your influence right there it, it can come from former players that are currently in nfl in that case way out in germany nothing saying that players what, can't what meet position with is this german kid he's a defensive guy they play they play american football in germany yeah, apparently so is he like a rugby guy Nah, man it, it, it's not gonna matter if you're on alabama's radar you, you could come from any continent on this planet and the University of Alabama if you're playing football is going to find you without question and we're going to find our next guest who plays football at South Alabama Reggie Smith former walk-on tremendous story he has look forward to talking to South Alabama's current center of the football team next here on the final drive
Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Nick Wiggins. Want to thank everybody for tuning in this afternoon. If you haven't downloaded that free sound of Mobile app, Make sure you do so to any Android or Apple device that you have so you can join in on our conversation on a daily basis. You can always call us the old-fashioned way as well, 251-694-1055. And this afternoon, it's a pleasure and an honor to be joined by the starting center for the South Alabama Jaguar football program looking to become bowl eligible on Saturday versus Marshall in a critical Sunbelt Conference game. You look at South Alabama having ups and downs this season, but one of the rocks for this offensive line has been former walk-on Reggie Smith. He's a six-year player for the South Alabama Jaguars, gained that additional year due to COVID. He's already got his degree in sports management, and we want to welcome center Reggie Smith to the program. Reggie, how's everything going? Hey, man, I'm, I'm doing good, man. I'm blessed. I can't complain, man. Appreciate y'all for having me on. Hey, it's a pleasure to be joined by you this afternoon. And I know on Saturday when you walk through that tunnel for the last time and the smoke clears, I know you'll have a lot of emotions going through you knowing that you spent some hard sweat equity on that Hancock-Whitney field. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a full circle moment for me, you know, just having to kind of work for everything I, I've attained now, being a walk on. So uh, yeah, it's definitely gonna be a, a real emotional moment, man. It's gonna be I probably won't feel like all the gist of the emotions until after the game, but because I'm gonna be so locked in on you know trying to get both eligible, like you said, but definitely gonna be an emotional moment. Well, Reggie, when you did walk on, you're from Pensacola, Florida. What made you decide to to walk on to the University of South Alabama football program? Uh, so the the coach at the time, Steve Campbell, he had um he was recruiting me at Central Arkansas, and actually had an offer to go to Central Arkansas, but he um he he had came over to South, and they didn't have any uh, scholarship spots left at the time. They had already filled up, so uh, he just offered me a, a preferred walk on spot and. Uh, Kind of just went from there. Absolutely love the fact that you took the walk on. You were able to learn and grow and become better with the program. And in the transition, you actually were able to, to earn that scholarship and obtain that sports manager degree from South Alabama. Now, I know you've played probably multiple positions on the offensive line in your time here at, with the Jaguar program. Where did you start playing on the O-line? Um, in 2020, I got my first game reps at right guard. So I was kind of a guard when I came. I didn't, they didn't really recruit me as a center. They kind of recruited me as a guard. So I played a lot of guard for them. And then uh, uh, really it's kind of crazy. I'm, not, I'm a shorter guy. So when I got, I got asked to play tackle some in um, the spring of 2021. So I also played some tackle here too as well. And then um, moving on from – that spring, they, uh, our center from uh, the 2022 season had left, so I kind of got bounced around to the center spot, too. So, you know, I'm just a, a jack-of-all-trades. I kind of played every spot on the offensive line here. How much fun has it been watching Carter Bradley come in and play the quarterback position and, 
and really become that leader of the program with his heart and just the ups and downs you guys have had in general. But just to know that you're snapping it to a guy who plays and puts his guts on the line the same way that you do each and every week. Man, Carter's just, I can't say enough about Carter and it's just, his will to want to win, his heart, just the way he attacks each day, man. He's usually the first guy in the building. When I come back around 6 p.m. just to do a little treatment and stuff, he's usually still in there watching tape. So uh, it's just been, Thomas has been a blessing to have him, man. It's just, he motivates me to go harder every day. Just when I, uh, before I snap, man, I always look back there and see him back there. Just, and it just kind of makes me fired up to play even harder each snap. So, yeah, Carter's, Carter's definitely my guy, man. I just got a lot of love for him. Now, you've had an opportunity to go on the road against Troy this year and experience a new quarterback, that being true freshman Gio Lopez. I know that that's where South Alabama is looking to go in the future. And uh, talk about the camaraderie and how quick it was when Carter went down that short week that you had to prepare for Troy, making that adjustment and making that true freshman and Gio Lopez feel comfortable taking snaps from you. Uh. Honestly, man, Gio's Gio's a very his future is very bright, man. I haven't came across too many freshmen that come in and can interpret the game the way he does, can lead the way he does. So it it honestly wasn't much of a drop off. Like it wasn't a much of a transition for me. You know, he kind of he made it easier for me than I probably made it for him, just with the way he works and the way he wants to get better. Just so it wasn't it wasn't too rough on us. I mean, he he came in. He I mean, we all seen how he played. The kid's talented, like crazy talented. So. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Reggie Smith, our guest this afternoon here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And Reggie is the starting center for the South Alabama Jaguar program as they're trying to become bowl eligible this Saturday versus Marshall. And Reggie, he, he got it the hard way, folks. He was a walk-on with this Jaguar program, has continued to grow and progress and has earned that sports management degree. Now, Reggie, when you think back, on your career as a Jaguar, hopefully the best moments are, are yet to come for you. But what what memorable moment or moments do you have that are going to stick out in your career, either at home or on the road, as a member of this Jaguar football program? Um, honestly, just uh, the whole 2022 season kind of just all just a member moment for me just with us being that was the you know coming off a five and seven season and just you know kind of nobody expected us to, to have the season we had and just coming back we get 10 wins and then going to go play a, a great bowl game and down in new orleans so that just i can't it's hard to pinpoint one moment because that season was just full of great moments but if i if i had to pinpoint one it, it'd be the Going down, just going down to L.A. with the whole team when we went to go play uh, UCLA last year and getting to spend time with some guys in Los Angeles, like down in the heart of Los Angeles. Just that that whole trip there was just probably the, one of the moments I'm going to sit back on and reminisce and talk to the fam about, talk to the guys, my kids about in the future. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about Major Applewhite being the offensive coordinator. And, of course, you do have your offensive line coach. Talk a little bit about your offensive line coach and – how Major Applewhite and, and you guys work together within those meetings? Uh, just uh, 
Major Applewhite is very just just a his offensive mind is just it kind of blows my mind sometimes how much knowledge he actually has of the game like just the X and O's. So he um he makes it he makes it pretty easy on us, man. He just he puts he always putting us in the, the best positions and getting us the best front to to run plays against just because he knows how defenses are going to adjust to to what we're coming out with and Coach Steele as well. Just another guy just crazy just just how much they how much knowledge they actually have of the game and how much they they want to see us they want to see us perform they want to see us win and just the way that they go about each day with you know firing us up getting us ready for practice you know teaching us different techniques different just just different schemes that we're going to face and just kind of they make it they make it really easy for us I feel like and I tell you, you know, it's been easy for you guys to execute in the red zone and that red zone efficiency. I know that's something that your offensive line coach Gordon Steele and your head coach talk about along with Coach Applewhite, the offensive coordinator. You guys led the nation in red zone efficiency up until a couple of weeks ago were at 100%. Talk about the pride of being able to punch that thing in when you get inside the 20-yard line. Hey, like a uh, like major told us one time, man. You know, when you just get in that red zone, you just kind of like a, a shark in the water, and you just you just smell blood. You know, and that's just when you just gotta kind of kick your game into that next level and just you know exert more of yourself because knowing that the, the end zone is so close is just it's just so easy to, to to perform well. And like I said, with him just being so skilled and just with schemes and knowing what defenses are gonna give us in the red zone, he just. He, he makes it easy, man. As long as we go out there and execute what, what he tells us and just show, like give great amount of effort, I mean, the results are going to come, and we know that. So, Reggie. Just, um, just going out there and finishing drives, man. That's just kind of what we practice. That's just like our mantra of our offense, just finishing drives. Finishing the job, hopefully, on Saturday versus the Marshall Thundering Herd, which will allow the Jaguars to become bowl eligible for the second consecutive year under Coach Kane Womack. And I was talking to you off the air, Reggie, about when we have players on each and every Thursday, we like to talk about players' hobbies. And you being a big old lineman, you were like, well, yep, one of my hobbies just so happens to be eating. And nothing wrong with that as a as an old lineman. What what's your favorite food? Uh, you're coming from the Pensacola area, so you've been around the Gulf Coast. What's your favorite food to eat as a big old lineman? Well, what's shocking that that most people think when I'm because I'm from Pensacola is what shocks people the most is I don't actually like seafood, <laughs> and I, I tell people that they're just it just blows their mind. But my favorite dish, favorite food, I have to say is some Mexican food. So. Whether it's tacos or queso rice and chicken or just really anything Mexican, just from that culture, I just love Mexican food. Well, Reggie, you have shocked me, and and unless you're allergic to seafood, I I I just don't understand that. I mean, yes, that is literally shocking that you can be from the Gulf Coast and not like seafood. But there's nothing wrong with your choice of having Mexican as your favorite as well. And I know you also like to do some gaming to relax and enjoy your time or your off time here with the Jaguar program. What what, what is your favorite game? I asked you about your game and said, is it the Madden? Is it the 2K? Is it is is it Mortal Kombat? Is it is it the Art of War? What what's that favorite game? Uh, right now, man, I'm playing a lot of 2K. I, I'm I'm just a big 2K guy, but I I bounce around from 
multiple games. I play a little Call of Duty here and there. That new one just came out. I've been on that a little bit. And uh, I play Madden as well. So those have to be my top three. I got you. Well, Reggie, I can't thank you enough for all that you've given to this University of South Alabama Jaguar football program and watching the transition and the growth that it's making and want to wish you nothing but the best moving forward with that sports management degree. Hopefully you'll catch on as a coach at that next level and be able to pass on what you've been able to obtain from your walk-on status to actually getting that scholarship as well because I think you could be such a huge role model for those that are thinking about giving up after playing high school football that the dream is not dead and people like you prove that through hard work anything is possible continuing to play the game you love and wish you the best in getting that six win versus Marshall this Saturday in your last game at Hancock Whitney Stadium thank you man I really appreciate all of that appreciate you Reggie Smith, the center for the South Alabama Jaguar football program, joining us this afternoon here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive this Thursday edition. Hope everyone is continuing to dry out as the sunshine tried to peak out and we're supposed to have great football weather for tomorrow night's high school football games and this weekend's events as well, whether it's you going to a South Alabama football game, an Auburn game, an Alabama game, all supposed to be great. The senior bowl having its turkey day festivities at Hancock on Sunday and tonight plenty of pigskin to go around in the NFL the Bengals and the Ravens going to battle in Baltimore the Bengals five and four the Ravens seven and three and when you look at the Ravens having that crushing loss to the Browns this past week Lamar Jackson wants to get it back in gear and it, against a conference pro like the Bengals. I know when we talked to Coach Harbaugh in the summertime, Nick, he was talking about how this is a dog-eat-dog -dog division. No, I mean, it definitely is. When you look at the records, um, you know, the Bengals are at the bottom at 5-4. and four, And the Browns, I think you would have to expect them to slide back a little bit. But, I mean, the Steelers somehow are 6-3. and three off their defense. I mean, this is just a division of some tough defenses and some, you know, some really good quarterbacks, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, both of them facing off tonight. But, you know, you talk about the Ravens having that heartbreaking loss to Cleveland. Cincinnati had a pretty heartbreaking loss to uh, the Houston Texans and C.J. Stroud after they had been on a pretty, pretty great win streak and getting things back to how, you know, we know that Cincinnati and Joe Burrow can play. But, I mean, this is a big game here, man. And, and you know, normally Thursday night football is like Boo -boo the worst games. game Boo -boo of the games. week. Last week it was Chicago and Carolina, and this week it, they're doing a complete 180 with giving us, you know, this great conference matchup. I mean, this I don't know what all would have to happen for every team in a, in a division to make the playoffs, but 
I mean, right now, I think it's definitely possible if these teams keep finding all the success that they're finding. But who do you like tonight? I'm going with the Ravens. I'm I, li- Ravens. I like it's at home yeah. for Baltimore. I-, I like what Lamar Jackson can do. I think that we are going to see some offensive fireworks. Vegas says three and a half. I think this is the game where Baltimore next week when we're looking at the NFL's power five. The Ravens are going to be back in the NFL's Power Five after tonight's performance. Because oh, I think they're still in there. They might not be number one anymore, but they're no, still in there. No, bro. I have the Eagles. I have the Eagles, Chiefs, the Lions, to me, and the Cowboys. The Ravens beat the Lions like 36 to 3. I have the Lions, Cowboys, and 49ers. Uh, Eagles and Chiefs going down on Monday night. I think that the Ravens are. Be- I put the Ravens over the Cowboys and the. Lions. I after again that loss to Cleveland. You're at the you're at the bottom of that division. You can't lose. I even though we just talked about how tough the AFC North is, you still can't lose to a team at the bottom of your division and be in the power five. Yeah, but you can't if the team at the bottom of the division is six and three, that's not that bad. You still can't lose to a team at the bottom of your division. And be a power well, what five. What about Dallas? They, didn't they lose team. to Arizona? A power five didn't team they lose in the NFL. Forty-five to ten to San Francisco. 49ers are, are are getting themselves back on track. Not only this week, but you look at where Purdy is going to take them. I think same thing that's been said about Cleveland. People say, can Cleveland get into the playoffs with Deshaun Watson now being lost for the NFL season? Can their defense take them to the playoffs? Not the Super Bowl, but the playoffs in general. And I think their defense can take them to the playoffs. I think it's going to be hard and harder because you look at when you're trying to start a rookie quarterback, anytime you play a rookie quarterback, that doesn't make anything easier. And who is this rookie quarterback again? Dorian Thompson Robinson. Where is that guy from? I have no clue. I ain't never had, you know, normally the hyphen last names are good for like a wide receiver (laughs) or a cornerback. I ain't never seen it on – on a quarterback, what college is this kid from? Well, you're you're, you're about Let's to see. you're about to see him try to lead Cleveland now, and I know that because of that. I mean, again, Cleveland, UCLA. He's okay. from UCLA. He he made some plays for UCLA last year. So you're you're asking a rookie from UCLA to take you to the promised land, which is the playoffs of the Browns, because you're not going to make it to the Super Bowl. And you were able to have a great comeback because of what Deshaun, Deshaun Watson was able to do with the banged-up shoulder. You know who used to play for the Browns? Josh Dobbs. I bet they wish they still had him in the locker room right now. Yeah, we talked to Tom Pelissero yesterday, and he was saying that that's a journeyman that, given the right opportunity, is going to get his shine on. And I have to tend to agree with that for certain, without question. And... Coming up to start hour number two of the final drive, we'll have Lindsey Crosby. Lindsey Crosby, good news for the Atlanta Braves. They lost the All-Star game a couple of years ago, and people were up in arms about that. We'll have no fear. The Braves will have it coming back to Atlanta, the All-Star game coming back to Atlanta, and we'll talk about some postseason hardware as well. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 continues hour number two. 
The Sound of Mobile presents for the win. The final drive. No, they didn't. Oh my gracious! Yep. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Go! Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable! Welcome to hour number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins joining you. And we hope everyone is drying out from the last couple of rainy days that we've had here in Mobile, Alabama. And, you know, if Major League Baseball continues on the path that it is right now, they're trying to get more and more younger people involved because it was called America's pastime. And this past year, you had a World Series that had two franchises that not a lot of your blue bloods of Major League Baseball, but the Atlanta Braves in the market that they're in and the eyeballs that are across the country on the Atlanta Braves. Our next guest can tell us the great news for the Atlanta Braves organization Lindsay crosby joins us this afternoon Lindsay, how's everything going you know everything's going great with today's announcement that the atlanta braves are getting the 2025 all-star game uh being brought to atlanta that's big time because i know a couple of years ago the braves they were supposed to host it and then all of a sudden major league baseball backed out there was a lot of backlash because of it but the Braves, what's the difference now moving forward than it was a couple of years ago? You know, honestly, like Rob Manfred came out and acknowledged that he made the decision in 2021 and that he's heard from people periodically ever since then about how Atlanta should get an all-star game. And nothing fundamentally has really changed other than uh, the the – laws that were passed ended up not necessarily having the effects that they thought they were going to have. And so I don't really know what changed from a, a an outside perspective, but MLB obviously thought we have to fix this. We have to make this up to the city of Atlanta. And so despite them having a 2026 location already, they went ahead and gave Atlanta the 25 game. And so it's going to be an even bigger production now than it would have been in 2021 because of the extra stuff that now happens with the All-Star game. But that is huge that the Atlanta Braves are going to host an All-Star game. I can't remember. When's the last time Atlanta did host a Major League Baseball All-Star game? They had one in the year 2000. It was after they converted uh, the Olympic Stadium into Turner Field after the 96 Olympics. And so the year 2000 is when they had their last all-star game. So it's been, it'll be 25 years when this actually happens. More good news expected for the Atlanta Braves as well as some postseason hardware has started to be handed out. And there's an Atlanta Braves player or two that's going to receive some more. Yeah, Ronald Cunha Jr. will find out tonight at 5 p.m. whether or not he is the National League MVP. Atlanta's come up cl uh, close, but no cigar in a couple of these awards so far. Uh, Brian Snedeker was third place for manager of the year on Tuesday. Spencer Strider was fourth for Cy Young. But Ronald Cunha Jr. is the favorite tonight for National League MVP. 
And it feels like such a done deal that the Venezuelan Winter League team that he is playing for, he makes his debut tonight, they have delayed the start of the game until after the announcement. So I feel like they wouldn't have delayed it unless they knew he was going to win the award. Yeah, that's big-time news, and, and I think no shocking surprise there. I think the only surprise that a lot of us still have are the fact that the Atlanta Braves weren't able to get to the World Series, but a lot of good news here in the offseason. And from a baseball perspective, we had heard that the Oakland A's were going to be leaving Oakland, just like the Oakland Raiders or just like some of the other franchises such as the Golden State Warriors moving out of Oakland. But the owners vote to move Oakland to Vegas. I know that that does not make a lot of the fans happy, but even with the losing record during the season, they tried to pack out the stadium a time or two to show that they can support the Oakland A's. Yeah, the, the fans really did a lot of work to try to show that the issue was on the team side, not on the fan side. And look, like the fans have a point. John Fisher bought the team in 2005, and outside of the first three seasons of his ownership, they haven't come in inside of 25th in payroll since then, and they've been last in baseball the last few years. So I see the point from the fans, and ultimately it was a unanimous vote for the Oakland A's to relocate to Las Vegas. They are going to still be receiving revenue-sharing money. But interestingly, there's a clause in the agreement that says John Fisher cannot sell the team for at least five seasons after moving. That's not something we've seen in a lot of relocations by MLB. And so it kind of makes you feel like maybe they don't necessarily trust him to stay in Vegas and invest in the team, they think maybe he's just trying to move it to get a new ballpark and make some profit off a sale. Cy Young Award winners were named. Also, no shocks there for sure. Yeah, uh, uh, Garrett Cole finally won one for the first time in his career. Uh, the question was going to be how big was the vote going to be, not was he going to win or not. The National League was really interesting because you had – a couple different options, and a lot of these guys were flawed. Spencer Strider came in fourth place. He led the league in strikeouts, but he also had the highest ERA of anybody who would have won the award. Blake Snell ended up winning it despite the fact that he led the league in walks. So really interesting how these broke out, but what's going to be fun to watch is Blake Snell is a free agent. And so when you look at that tier one of free agents this offseason, you have – uh, Yamamoto coming over from Japan. You have Aaron Nola. You have Blake Snell. It's going to be curious to see, does Blake Snell get a contract like you would expect to see from a two-time Cy Young winner and the reigning winner? Uh, or does he get a lesser contract because teams look past the Cy Young and see some of the issues he had with walks and things like that? Also, in the offseason, the stirring news has been a couple of things. One is the fact that the Chicago Cubs got a new manager, but they got it from within their own division. That's something that you almost never see with rivalries in Milwaukee and Chicago, having Craig Council take over now as the new Cubs skipper. It's an absolute shock to see Craig Council leave the Milwaukee Brewers to go to the Cubs. We knew that he was looking to leave. His contract was up. He specifically declined to sign an extension uh, last offseason, 
And the thought was he was going to the Mets. The Mets signed the general manager from the Brewers, David Stearns, and the thought was Counts was going to go along with him. And in retrospect, you could kind of see how this whole thing happened. There was a lot of leaked reports that Council was looking to reset the the salary market for managers, and the Mets would kind of leak something that they didn't want to go and pay all of that money because they kind of felt like they were negotiating with themselves. And then the Cubs swoop in and pay Craig Council $8 million a year to be the manager. Fun fact, Council is going to make more on this contract than any player on the Oakland A's. So I thought that was interesting. But the Cubs swoop in out of nowhere when they found out he was available and the money wasn't working out with New York, and they get a new guy. And so it's obvious now that the Cubs are going all in on this window right now. They've got a bunch of prospects they're about to call up, including Pete Crow Armstrong, a bunch of pitchers, and they are now players in free agency for just about everybody, up to and including Shohei Otani. And speaking of Shohei Otani, that's the second largest story that I think is getting ready to transpire here in the offseason. I know he's wanting to do things very quietly, but ultimately he's going to receive the largest contract in Major League Sports. Not in Major League Baseball, basketball, football, hockey, golf, tennis. I mean the largest contract ever in professional sports. Where do you think he's going to wind up? So... It's really fun, right? Uh, Patrick Mahomes is the record right now, $500 million for 10 years. I, it feels like Shohei Otani is bound to be a Los Angeles Dodger and that he's probably going to make it'd be less years but more money than Patrick Mahomes with Kansas City. Uh, but there's a big question here, and it's apparently reporting has come out that Shohei's open to taking a shorter deal, like two years or so, at an absurdly high uh, sal yearly salary. And so if he's taking a two-year deal, it could be anywhere, right? It, I mean, there's so many more teams could pay uh, Shohei Otani an absurd amount of money for two years versus something like 10. So if he signs a long-term deal, I think he's going to be a Dodger. If he doesn't sign the long-term deal, there's a lot of potential places where he might go on a two-year contract. Well, I tell you, Lindsay. Great off-season baseball information continues to trickle out. And if it's minor league baseball, major league baseball, Auburn baseball that's getting ready to start up here pretty soon as they are preparing here in the winter season, how can people follow all of your tremendous coverage of all of the above? That's a great question, Corey. So I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. It's the hub for everything. Like Corey said, we're covering the game of baseball on just about every level. College baseball, AuburnDaily.com. Minor league baseball, Locked in MLB Prospects, the number one daily minor league baseball podcast. And uh, major league baseball, BravesToday.com. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Good to talk to you, Corey. Lindsay Crosby joining us this afternoon here on The Final Drive. And when we come back... The Mary G. Montgomery Vikings will be playing the Enterprise Wildcats in round two of the AHSAA playoffs. We'll talk to the head coach and former head coach of the Gulf Shores Dolphins and Spanish Four Toros. Ben Blackman will be our guest next here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Stuart Fink from the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNSB Sports Radio in Mobile. 
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you on this Thursday afternoon. And following our show, the final drive, Pigskin Pete will be bringing you the prep spotlight from 6 to 7 o'clock, so you don't want to miss that. And while we're talking AHSAA high school football, who better than bring in Ben Blackman joining us this afternoon, the head football coach of the Enterprise Wildcats in his second year will be bringing his Wildcats team down here to Sims, Alabama to take on the Mary G. Montgomery Vikings. Coach Blackman, good afternoon and thanks for joining us. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Well, coach, you guys are nine and two and you guys took care of the Daphne Trojans by a basketball score last week. When you look at that final score that it was basketball on grass, 63 to 28 winners over Daphne moving forward. It's been a successful season for you so far. Talk about the excitement of your program. Yeah, I think year two, you know, we're gaining some uh, excitement over here. Uh, we got a really good group of kids that are, um, man, they're battling each week and putting their best foot forward, and um, just it's it, it's a blessing. Anytime you're still playing in November, and uh, you know uh, we're, we're happy to be here uh, and still be playing. Coach, it's going to be a tremendous quarterback matchup, and every now and then you're treated to these special occasions where you see two players on opposite teams that are very prolific players and garnish a lot of attention but for the Payne fan I know I would definitely put all my money in the pot to see this AHSAA round two matchup as you have a dynamic four-star quarterback Eric Winters who's garnering attention from every program in America including the Georgia Bulldogs and you have a player that you're going to coach here in the Alabama Mississippi all-star game next month and Jared Hollins, one of the young men that you're tasked upon stopping, I know that that's got to be a challenge that you're looking forward to this week. But past this week, knowing that, hey, look, when everything's all said and done, I'm going to be able to coach Jared to represent our state versus Mississippi. Yeah, absolutely, man. I tell you what, um, being the head coach of the Alabama-Mississippi game and getting to evaluate uh, – Jared, in, in the, in the uh, season, to to be able to have him on the team, he is a phenomenal player. And he, I mean, he he makes play after play after play when you think they've got him dead to the rights. And man, he finds a way to get out of it, and uh, he usually finds uh, positive yardage uh, when the play breaks down. He, he's going, he's fun to watch, and he's going to be fun to coach. Uh, you know. I hope we do a, a decent job of containing him on Friday night, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, the, the kid's gonna have a great career wherever he goes. He's just such a phenomenal player. Well, Coach Blackman, you mentioned this being your second year. It's also Zach Golson's second year, and that makes it a lot of fun. You guys very familiar with one another, and when you look at your coaching tree, I I love coaching trees when they begin to spread out and, and branch out on their own Alex page who is the defensive coordinator and has done a tremendous job in turning around that MGM defense. He coached for you at Spanish Fort when you were in our neck of the woods. 
Yes, you know, and Zach's done a great job over there and uh, revitalizing that community and, uh, you know, getting the culture going and they're, they're believing and he's done a, he's just done an a outstanding job over there, Mary G. And he was a, he was a great coach at Daphne when we faced him and McGill Tulin. He's been some really good places, been around a lot of good pro, uh, programs. Uh, and to get his first head coaching job over there and to turn that program around has been great. On the side note, Alex Page is a really good friend of mine. Um, he is uh, one heck of a ball coach. And, you know, I was fortunate to have him on my staff at Spanish Sport. He did an outstanding job. I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep him long because he's got high aspirations of uh, of doing bigger things and you know, I did get to spend the whole week with him this summer in Germany. We all flew with a fellowship of Christian athletes over to Germany and tried to coach some football this summer. And um, I got a lot of time spent with him and, and his wife, Courtney. They're just fantastic people and um, good coach. And it, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be a challenge, but it'll be fun. Coach, I think what's fun, uh, you're one of the only coaches that I know. You look at your former tenure at Gulf Shores, Gulf Shores still in the playoffs. You look at your former tenure at Spanish Fort, Spanish Fort still in the playoffs. And now you as the head coach at Enterprise, there's not too many coaches that can say that along with Coach Freeman at Thompson that the former teams that they coached are still alive in the playoffs. So I know that's something that when you go to those Friday night scores throughout the week, you continue to keep up with throughout the season. Yeah, it's always fun to watch those. Because, uh, you, you know, every lo- every step along our journey in this profession, you know, we know people, we, we have friends, we're, we're touched by lives. And it's always fun to, to watch uh, the scores on, on Friday night or Saturday morning as they roll in and, and see what the people in the communities that you've been a part of uh, have done as well. And, uh, you know, so, um, you know, pulling for those those friends of ours and, and uh, you know, as, as we go through this playoffs. Ben Blackman joining us for a couple of more minutes before he has to go take care of his football team as they prepare to come to Sims, Alabama and take on Mary G. Montgomery in round two tomorrow night coach we mentioned Eric Winters your quarterback but you also have a young man at the running back position Keon Dunlap who was verbally committed to Indiana has over a thousand rushing yards this season it's great when you're able to to get that ground and pound established along with having a great quarterback that can make good decisions also yes uh Keon and Eric they complement each other well on offense um Keon uh, is a senior, uh, 6'1", 205-pound tailback, and um, uh, he, he's a special talent with the ball in his hands. He's had a great year, rushed for over 1,000 yards. And, you know, last week he had 256 on 16 carries and four touchdowns. Uh, and then Eric uh, has grown as a leader and a quarterback for us. He He's phenomenal uh, athlete. He, want, he both of these guys have a very high ceiling at the next level, and um, but Eric, he's a generational talent that you see, and um, he, you know he, with the ball in his hand, he's dynamic, and with the ball when he's playing defense, he you know he's very special. So uh, both of those guys will play both ways for us. I mean they, they do. They they'll play some time on defense and they'll play some time on offense. It's just. That's just, you know, what I, I think you got to do in high school football. Sometimes you got to play your best, 
you know, your best players and, and get them on the field when the game counts. And so that's what that's what we do. It's what we've always done. And um, I, uh, I think uh, both of those guys provide that for us. Well, you're exactly right about that being a successful formula for you at Spanish Ford. You look now at every single Saturday I watch Missouri play. Chris Abrams drained that guy for you at Spanish Ford. DJ James, that guy for you at Spanish Ford. Two young men that are continuing to excel, one at Auburn, one at Missouri. How fun is it for you to continue to watch these young men's success and the growth that they've had since they left you at Spanish Ford High School? Well, it, it's it's really it's awesome, and we've had a lot of players when I was at Spanish Fort and other places that have gone on and played. You know, one of the first kids I ever coached is still playing in the NFL for the Cleveland Browns is Darius Smith. Um, but you know, to to watch those kids live out their dream at the next level and and do it at a high level, you know, and not many not many people took chances on on either one of those kids. You know, DJ had to go out west to Oregon, and um, you know, and then he came back to Auburn. And Chris, Missouri, you know, Coach Drinkwich took a chance on him after seeing him play through that state championship run that um, we got to in 2019 to go play in the championship game. And, um, you know, we always knew what Chris had in him because we, uh, we coached and we saw it on the film, uh, field on a daily basis as well as DJ. Uh, it just sometimes it, it, it takes, you know, coaches taking a chance on kids and listening to the high school coaches and trusting them and – then the kids get there and they flourish. But, I mean, it is really, really exciting to see Chris and, and DJ and, you know, being being from that area over there. And they'll probably both be able to play in the Senior Bowl one day if it's not this year. But um, it, it, it it does. It, it makes your Saturday mornings, hey, what, what time's Missouri playing? What time's <laughs> Auburn playing? Uh, so. Absolutely love it. Ben Blackman, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule as you prepare for the Mary G. Montgomery Vikings in round number two of 7A playoffs. Have safe travels, and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow night in Sims, Alabama. Thank you, Corey, and God bless you, and thanks for having me on. God bless. Ben Blackman, our guest head football coach at Enterprise, the Enterprise Wildcats with a 9-2 record coming to Sims, Alabama to take on the Mary G. Montgomery Vikings. Nick Wiggins, right. Mary G. Montgomery Vikings. Who you got in that game, Corey? He, I, 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 look, I think it's going to be a great game. Home field advantage. I have to go Skull Vikings, to be honest with you, because you, you have earned history in the MGM. Some great things are happening, but when I tell you there's going to be some phenomenally played football tomorrow night in Sims, Alabama, Make sure if you're not there, you tune in to that NFHS broadcast that I'll be right. a part of because, look, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be elite. When I say there's going to be some elite talent on that field and some elite coaching, it's going to be great to watch. And coming up next, we'll have our next guest here on the final drive. We'll have Mandy Armstrong. She's the Monroe women's basketball coach in Coastal Alabama. Joining us hey, next. Dabo Sweeney. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSB 105.5. Want to thank Ben Blackman for joining us, the head football coach at Enterprise High School. The Wildcats coming here to Sims, Alabama to take on the Mary G. Montgomery Vikings. And as we wind up and wind down in high school football, that means that hoop season 
is definitely upon us. Auburn versus Notre Dame tonight on ESPN2. South Alabama taking on Nichols tonight at the Mitchell Center in part of a basketball classic that will be going on the next few days here in Mobile, Alabama. So great hoops action to catch tonight. And it's great to catch up with our next head coach, Mandy Armstrong. She's the head women's basketball coach, Coastal Alabama, Monroeville. Coach, how's everything going? Everything's going well. How about you? Absolutely blessed by the best. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Hoop season has started up. I know conference play is going to be right around the corner, believe it or not. But tell us a little bit about your women's basketball program and how things are going there for Coastal Alabama Monroeville. Uh, things are finally turned around for us. Uh, brought back four sophomores had one transfer. Um, and the rest is a pretty young team, but they came in, worked hard, and kind of bought into the program, and it's starting to pay off. That's what I'm talking about, Coach. And when you look at your upcoming schedule, I know mentioning that men's college basketball in full effect, along with women's college basketball, we've already had a couple of upsets as the women's number one and two teams have gone down. Let's Tell us about your schedule and who you guys are going to be facing here shortly. Uh, Saturday, we have East Central Mississippi, um, non-conference. And then Monday, we have Baton Rouge here in Monroeville. Um, and then we go home for the holidays, come back and open up with Snead, our first conference game. Conference play already right behind you, so you guys will have a chance to enjoy the Thanksgiving dinner and the meals and get home to friends and family and right back into conference action. Tell me about your thoughts about the new division format for the ACCC this year in regards to how you guys have split up the divisions in men and women's basketball and the excitement of your team. Tell us some of your players that are on the roster that are going to make a difference for you as conference season approaches. Uh, for the, the conference split, it's actually been beneficial to us. Of course, it's less travel, which is a great thing. Um, but uh, we've it, the competition level is a little more uh, I guess equal on our end. Uh, the Northern Division usually has really, really strong teams. Not that we couldn't compete. It's just we're all pretty much on the same level now on our end. A um, couple of the players that we have that came in, uh, Taylor Murph out of Lord Tepoka High School. She stepped in as a freshman starting, doing a really, really good job. Um, point guard, uh, Tiffany Goodman. She's also a one or a two guard. Uh, she came in from Middle Georgia Prep. Um, she's led us pretty good bit of the ways as well. Um, returners would be Tiana Watts and Tyisha Slaughter. Um, they stepped up to the plate and, and kind of carried us this far. Mandy Armstrong, our guest this afternoon here on the final drive. She is the head women's basketball coach, Coastal Alabama Community College in Monroeville. And the, the rebrand, it's been huge throughout the Coastal Alabama family. Tell us about the rebrand and how exciting it is to, to see new colors and to see that new logo as well. Uh, it's been a transition, but it's an eye catcher. Uh, the coyote is starting to grow on us. Um, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You're, you're absolutely right. I love the coyote mascot and logo, and I think it will draw 
attention to your program. And speaking of drawing attention to your program, on average, I know you're always looking for players and trying to find a way to recruit. And if there are those who are in our listening audience that know a potential hooper or know a women's basketball player who's looking to transfer and hit that portal and are academically and athletically qualified, let let everybody know how they can reach out and get in touch with you to join part of that Coastal Alabama Monroe women's basketball program. Uh, you can reach me my phone number. Cell number is 251-714-4095. Or you can email me at it's Mandy, M-A-N-D-E-E, dot Armstrong at coastalabama.edu. Again, give that number one more time, Coach Armstrong, so those that may have potential student athletes, because we do have plenty of coaches in our area who are looking for their players to, to be placed, especially with the things that are going on with colleges and the transfer portal and how hard it is sometimes to gain that athletic scholarship, but the opportunities that Coastal Alabama Monroe will women's basketball supplies. Absolutely. It's 251-714-4095. And that email address one more time too, Coach. It's Mandy, M-A-N-D-E-E dot Armstrong at coastalalabama.edu. Coach Mandy Armstrong joining us this afternoon here on the final drive. Coach, wish you the best and safe travels as you guys are on the road and returning back home next week. And then before you guys start conference play after Thanksgiving, wish you the best in the rest of your season as well. And if there's anything we can do to help you here to continue to pr promote your Coastal Alabama Lady Program, women's basketball program, please let us know. Great. Thank you for having me. All right. Mandy Armstrong joining us this afternoon. And, Nick, we were talking earlier today about the NFL and the big-time matchup tonight between Cincinnati and Baltimore. And we were talking about your Power Five. And I know we have people in the app. My Power Five were the Eagles, Chiefs, Lions, Cowboys, and 49ers. And we had someone in the app say that they felt that the Ravens belonged in there and I know you had your top five as well. Yeah, Baltimore has to be up there. Lamar looks great. They they got the best pass rush in the NFL right now. And they either blow out teams or barely lose at the very end of a game. And, you know, if we're going off like the college football playoff ranking rule, I don't know if you can put Detroit over them when Baltimore beat them like 37-3. to And I know Detroit had an entertaining game and a good close win against the Chargers, but, I mean, when you're beating the Chargers 41-39, to yes, the Chargers have Justin Herbert, but they're not really an elite team this year. So I don't, like, look, Detroit is good and by far the best team in their division, but... I think you got to give Baltimore the edge because of the way that they handled them. Oh, and they nobody, beat them 38 to 6. And nobody has handled Baltimore in that way. You know, San Francisco. The Browns did in the fourth quarter last week. I'm talking, look, San, look at how San Francisco handled Dallas. Yeah. No one is handling And what Baltimore happened, what like happened to the 49ers after that? Well, they got injured, and now that they're healthy, they handled the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I think you had or who a lot of people have had in their top five.
because of their record, but I was never really buying into it. Uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't really impressed me this year. <laughs> they had the good record, but we see what happens when they play a legit contender. You know, they can't barely even put points up on the board. Yeah, I, I know that, again, tonight's matchup is it's on Amazon Prime, but it's really a prime matchup. And when you start the NFL week on a Thursday night with this type of matchup and you end it on a, a Monday night with Philadelphia and Kansas City, Nick, you know how many times Super Bowl participants have played each other in the following year? I don't. Do you think it happens frequently in the NFL? Probably not. It does not. Yep. Only the ninth time wow. that we've seen previous Super Bowl participants play one another in the regular season again. So it doesn't happen that often. So we're getting a treat, and I don't know how healthy Jalen Hurts is because the bye week came at a good time for him to rest and to get a little bit of recuperation, and the bye week came at a great time for Kelsey to go do Kelsey things. But the Kelsey sure. brothers battling one another again, and this was my Super Bowl matchup, and yep. it was the Super Bowl last year. It's an early preview of what I expect to be this year's Super Bowl also. I wouldn't go that far. I just, you know, it's odd. You know, yes, the Chiefs have – like the best record in the AFC. The Eagles have the best record in the NFC, but I think all that being said, at the same time, neither team has really been that impressive to me. You know, the Eagles look a little less than compared to last year. Hurts looks a little slower. Patrick Mahomes isn't putting up the numbers he put up last year, but when, when it comes down to wins or losses, they're still getting the job done. Momentum. Exactly. And I, I like when you talk wins or losses and momentum there in the NFL because it is a real thing. And, and having that bye week can be a huge thing. Just ask the New Orleans Saints because you come off a devastating loss to the Minnesota Vikings. And then you have an off week to try to get Derek Carr healthy and to not only try to get Derek Carr healthy, you're also looking at getting other players healthy for the New Orleans Saints. So those bye weeks can either I don't think they ever hurt you in the NFL. I think they can hurt you in college football, but not in the NFL for sure. And I know we have a caller on the line. Yes, caller, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. This is anti Rassi. Anti Rassi. He said that he's got a hot take. Come It'll on. take him a minute to explain Go it. Go ahead. Come but on. he wants to have the opportunity. Go ahead, anti. Thank you, boys. All right, okay, listen to me, okay? Just follow me, because it's not going to happen, but it could, all right? So, yesterday on Chuck Oliver, there was a cataclysmic event that happened in college football. Are you all familiar with that? Do you yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's going to be the Pac-12 decisions there with Washington State. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Okay. So, Washington State and Oregon State are now the only two voting members – for the Pac-12, for everything, right? And he danced around it a little bit, right? He talked about, hey, we're going to have the basketball championship in Corvallis. We're going to have the baseball championship at Wazoo, right? Stuff like that. I get it. That's cool. They should do that. They absolutely should do that. But what they also have complete and total access to is this last year of the $3 billion deal that the Pac-12 has. 
They don't have to allocate one penny of the remaining dollars for anything. Revenue generated anywhere. Does not have to go anyplace else but to Oregon State and Wazoo. So follow me. Let me decide to say, all right, we're going to take all this money. What's the SEC payout right now? Right? About 55, 60 million ish. Is that right? Or is it 70 per team with our deal? Is that right? It's a lot. Big Ten. Big Ten's going to get about 90 to 100 once they revamp and get their new deal. It's a lot, right? Well, Wazoo and Oregon State, the also Rams of college football, are about to have more than that. So what if Oregon State picks up the phone with the $300 million they're about to get, if they're smart, and they call Nick Saban and say, Nick, you're making $12 million a year at Bama. If you're at our podium tomorrow by noon, we'll double it. $24 million guaranteed for five years, no buyout, full contract, but you got to be here at noon. Plane's on its way, yes or no. And then Washington State picks up the phone and calls Kirby and says, Kirby, you're making nine at the book with the dogs. We're going to pay you 90 guaranteed, five years. No ifs, ands, or buts, but you got to be here at 12.01 to announce right after Nick announces he's going to be at Oregon State that you're our head coach, right? And, oh, by the way, we got $100 million for NIL. You can buy every single five-star you want. And Oregon State and Wazoo flip the college football world around with the two best coaches in the country. They buy up all the five-stars, and they start kicking butt and taking names. Now, is it going to happen? Probably not. But could it? What do you think? I will tell you the same thing I tell Nick Wiggins all the time. If if and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Now, I will say this, Nick Saban's not going anywhere. Kirby Smart's not going anywhere, regardless of the amount of money. Nick's got plenty of money with the car dealership. Every man has their price. You think so? That's what what the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, used to say. Everything that they're planning to give you the rest of your contract, we'll go ahead and just give it to you this year. No. One year. No, no. You you don't even have to worry about either one of those guys. And see, I don't know if I would have to do a little more research into this new pack, too, and how the deal works. I can't imagine that all that money is just falling into the lap of two teams. Is that how it works? It's real. It's real. I mean, with the court system. Yo, D, get Colorado back into the pack. Make it the pack three. It, it's real. Uh, you do have other coaches. Anti-Rassy, someone in the app says, voice of the pack says, call Jimbo. Call Jimbo. But no, you Kirby and Nick are not the two names that you could sit there and feature at the pack two. You could probably school. get a Harbaugh. <laughs> Which one? Both. <laughs> Jim, yeah. Jim on one team, John on the other. Well, I I know this. You know, it, it's it's great. There is there was a whole motion picture made called conspiracy theory on certain conspiracy theories, and everybody has them. But I, I know that someone in the app says Antirassi has fallen off the the dum dum tree and banged his head on every branch. <laughs> down on, on all the way down but it never will happen impressive if it could 
Well, I, I know that, you know, like I said, I, I for him to have that thought process and the wheels turning right there, if it were money-driven, if Kirby Smart— But if you just made it a guarantee, hey, if you come play for Washington or Oregon State, you get a Rolls Royce. Not good enough. You don't think? Man, look what Nick already has in his garage, bro. I'm talking about for every recruit that comes in. Not good enough. You're leasing them. Not good enough. Utah's giving guys trucks. All you have to do is be a scholarship athlete, and you're leasing a truck. We'll hear from Nick Saban on the other side of this break on the final drive. This is Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive. And before we go to break, wanted to hear from Coach Saban about his OCD, Little Debbie tendencies. I thought that it was pretty funny. He was talking to Pat McAfee today about his Little De Debbies and being OCD as if we doubted that. Harry, thinking about Chattanooga this week when we woke up after a big win over Kentucky or was she still eyeing <laughs> Auburn? She's still eyeing Auburn. She's got got to refocus. Oh, that's good news. They're building a statue up there. We need yeah. to. Uh -huh. Hey, Coach, you know this as well as anybody. Eye test is a big deal. You know that. Like, that's a real deal. Are you thinking about that whenever you're playing Chattanooga? Is that something that can even come into your mind? Well, I, I think that games like this can hurt you if you don't play well uh, because there's an expectation out there. Um, so... I, I don't know if you call it eye test. I just think that you want your team to play well so that you're continuing to build this momentum and rhythm that make people want to look at your team as a very good team that should be considered for whatever the circumstance may end up to be. Hell yeah. Hey, there's a lot going on. This college football world is wild. You're the greatest of all time at it. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Nick Saban, thank you. I don't know if that was the clip. It was not, but that's okay, too. He still was talking about being focused. And, yep. you know, Tua Tungabailoa, former Alabama player, have you seen him being focused on his new hairdo, Nick? He looks happy. He's hitting a little jig over here. <laughs> He's dancing a little bit. He's I got like his it, new cornrows in. It's a good look, man. You know, you got to – we need more iconic looks by quarterbacks, you know. Peyton Manning had the iconic giant forehead. When Tom Brady had the long hair, that was iconic. I like it, man. Corn rolls for Tua Tungabailoa. That's a new look for him. He said it was either cut it all off or let it go with the corn rolls. I like the corn rolls. I like it. That's clean. Coming up next, Luke Robinson will join us to talk about the Alabama Crimson Tide in the Gulf Coast Autotech Tide and Tiger Report. This is the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins. 
brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app. Here are Corey and Nick. Welcome to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins joining you on this Thursday afternoon. Want to thank everybody for having us tuned and locked in. And Nick, the Alabama Crimson Tide were able to secure a berth in the SEC championship game with a huge win over the Kentucky Wildcats this past weekend. And the Georgia Bulldogs just keep doing Georgia Bulldog things for Kirby Smart as they will be the Crimson Tide's opponent. And when, when you look at Alabama's opportunity here to win the first ever SEC Western Division Championship and winning the last ever SEC Western Division Championship. They have gotten better each and every week since that Texas performance, that disappointing loss in the second week of college football. Yeah, there's no question about it. They're probably one of the most improved teams in college football. I mean, you know, that Texas loss. And I think now we can look back and we can kind of see why they lost to Texas, right? You know, Milrow, that was, what, his second game of the season. You know, he was still a little green. And then they did the little South Florida experiment with the other quarterbacks. And now they're back with Milrow. He's confident. The team's confident. You know, you got to be able to rally behind a guy. And, you know, we throughout the season talking to, like, Jason Campbell and all these people, you know, mixing in a little bit of the Tiger part of the Titan Tiger here. You know, when they were doing the two quarterbacks, it wasn't working. Now, all of a sudden, they're rolling with one quarterback. He's confident, and they're looking better. So now that ever since they really made Jalen Milrow the guy and let him grow, they've been looking great, man. They've been looking really good. Um, it, it is unfortunate that that one loss is potentially going to put a kink in everything that Alabama wants here uh, you know, in the playoffs and the postseason, but you know, it, I guess you would have wished that that l one loss would have came to a different team, because and not a team that's right ahead of you in the college football playoff rankings. But I mean, Alabama, they're they're looking good, and I'll say this: they're who knows what's going to happen this year, but I, I they're definitely setting themselves up pretty for next year, especially. Yes, I do think they're setting themselves up to, to be competitive next year, but every single year the expectations at Alabama are not only to win the SEC championship, not just the SEC West, and with it being dissolved, the Eastern and Western championships, SEC looking to go divisionless football next year with the addition of Texas, with the addition of Oklahoma, Auburn in year number two, with Hugh Freeze, and then you look across the rest of the SEC at your other opponents, such as LSU, and can Brian Kelly get them back to an elite status? Who does Texas A&M hire? Alabama did what they needed to do in order to make history once again for Nick Saban, and you look at the dominance that the GOAT has exhibited during his time at Alabama. I don't think there's any question. And this is with a lot of people not wanting to wait for Julian Sayan, the number one quarterback in the country, coming out this year. And he's going to be an early enrollee. 
So, you know, five quarterbacks is what Nick Saban had going into really this fall camp, and that was unheard of because in his tenure, there's normally a two- or three-man race, and that's it. But you had five quarterbacks, and to me, with what the short resume that Jalen Milrow put on display a year ago, especially in that performance that he had against Texas A&M, you saw flashes. You saw what could have been, what would be. But that was with former offensive coordinator coming in. And now you have a new offensive coordinator coming in, and you didn't know whether it was going to be three yards or a cloud of dust or whether they were going to adjust the offense to whoever was going to win the starting quarterback race. But to me, Jalen Milrow was going to get the first snap and the first opportunity at Alabama to show that he was QB1 for the Crimson and White this season. Yeah, and he took advantage of his opportunities, and I think he also demonstrated when you know, he had that opportunity taken away why he was deserving of another one. And I remember speaking earlier this year about the running backs and trying to get them going. And as I'm looking here, I'm kind of doing a quick glance at the stats. It's looking like this year is going to be, in Nick Saban's tenure, the least amount of rushing yards for a running back ever. At least I'm like going by the years I've gotten to 2014. Normally you're having at least a 1,000-yard rusher. Maybe an 800-yard rusher and yeah. a 700-yard rusher. I think Gibbs uh, split with that. But this year, I mean, it, they're not hitting that mark. But, I mean, Milrow, I guess, is more than making up for it. He really is your, you know, he's not a running back, but he is your main lead rusher. Let me ask rusher. you this. Can you tell me who the starting quarterback was for Alabama against South Florida? The pause says it all right there. <laughs> that 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 just goes to show the typical Alabama fan to where you put all your eggs in the Milrow basket, in Milrow retrust. It, do, do you know the quarterback who transferred in from Notre Dame? Right. Tyler Buckner. Yeah, but he's yeah, he started. That didn't work. Then they rolled with Simpson. Ty Simpson as yeah. well. So so think about that. Those are when you have to mentally pause in your mind to think about who the backup quarterback at Alabama is. In week two versus Texas, was any Alabama fan out there saying, keep Milrow in, keep Milrow in? Or were they pleading and screaming at the top of the lungs, bring in Tyler Buckner or Ty Simpson, but – Get that Milrow guy out. Yeah, that's what everyone was saying. I remember looking at the app, you know, that following Monday when I came in wearing my cowboy hat, all excited because <laughs> Texas won. And, uh, but, and then literally one week later. And that's, what, um, that's my point, <laughs> Nick, that, that as a true Alabama fan, okay, when you have to sit and pause and be like, uh, because last year, you look at Bryce Young, everybody knew who his backup was. Everybody knew Jalen Milrow because Bryce Young got hurt and there were enough blowouts to where you were going to get some quality work if you're Jalen Milrow. Well, this year you have a horrible te- uh, Texas game by Milrow. You bring in Simpson. You bring in Buckner. 
One was five out of nine for 73 yards. One was five out of 14 for 34 yards and showed Alabama fans absolutely nothing against South Florida. And this is the South Florida team to where when you start looking at their overall record, South Florida is five and five. Five and five is what South Florida is overall. Okay? So it's not like your South Florida was running the American Athletic Conference this year. No, that's not the case with them. I mean, they're three and three in the AAC. So to set the world on fire, Ty Simpson and Tyler Buckner, that didn't happen. Right. And well, and I said I've said it, you know, multiple times. Jalen Milrow w- went from being the liability of Alabama's offense and the reason that they were probably going to lose some games to now it seems like he is the main reason why Alabama potentially even has a chance to compete for a national championship because of how dynamic he is. He's just completely transformed his own narrative. Like in sports, we all like to find a guy to rat on. We all like to find the easy guy to blame, right? And sometimes it can be hard to shake that narrative, but, I mean, he made everyone do a complete 180 flip like within two weeks. And he looks great. And now, look, there have been some growing pains, right? Like that Arkansas game should have been easier than it was. Sure. But then you see how he shows out in a basically a head-to-head battle against who we've all touted and all our guests have agreed, the best offensive player in college football, Jaden Daniels with LSU. I mean, he went toe-to-toe with them. They basically had the similar games, right? Even though, you know, Jaden didn't play the whole thing but sure but but does that not make Nick Saban and show why he is the goat is to, that to more on Saban or is that more on Milrow you think I, look the body language and the attitude is on Milrow because that was only his third career start so he's still wet behind the ears at that point in time still doesn't know what it means to play that position successfully and be that positive inducing teammate right but you look now seven weeks later and the growth and how fast it has happened for him and to him in some hostile environments mm-hmm. in some uncomfortable situations to where he's still getting sacked at times way too much but the offensive line's protection against Kentucky was where it needed to be to make Alabama a great team because when you look at his numbers versus Texas and what he was able to do, 14 out of 27 for 255 yards. Two explosive touchdowns, but two critical interceptions. Right. So those interceptions that led to points off turnovers is something he has not done since that Texas game. He still had interceptions at inopportune times because I knew that against Ole Miss, he would probably have one interception. Against Tennessee, he would probably have one interception. But what you've seen him do is the defense help Jalen Milrow out tremendously to where his turnovers aren't costing the team points and there have not been any pick sixes knock on wood i know we have a caller here on the gulf coast auto tech tide and tiger report welcome caller how are you doing this evening 
Hey, hey man, this is Alabama Nature Boy. Hey, um, you know, the, the whole Alabama team has improved. Everybody. The, the defense is much, much better. Way better than they were against Texas. If Alabama had a shot at Texas again, they'd probably take them down. Um, Ty Simpson, drastic improvement from that South Florida game to the whole quarter he played against Kentucky. He played fantastic in that game as well. So really, Coach Saban's brought all these kids along, all of them. They're, they're you know, Milrose playing great, but that defense is just killer right now. So um, I think it's just an overall improvement of the entire team. It is an overall yeah, improvement of the entire team. And I know this, that with the overall improvement of the entire team, it goes back to what I just said. The GOAT, Nick Saban, is definitely there for sure to to, to help his coordinators, yeah. both Kevin Steele, who's a veteran and seasoned vet, to coach Tommy Rees, the, the offensive coordinator now. I, I think that everybody has taken a little time to get on the same page. And, yes, there has been drastic and dramatic improvement yeah, I, for sure. I'll, I'll agree that there's been overall growth for the whole team, but, you know, if Nick Saban is the, you know, great teacher and all the students' test grades are going up, then I think you would have to say that Jalen Milrow is the star pupil, right? Like, this is the kid that was flunking the class. Like, oh, man, we might have to hold this guy back a grade, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's getting the best grades on the test. So, and, you know, whenever they were talking about benching Jalen Milrow, you know, with all the interceptions and everything, I always was at least somewhat against it because you, if, if, if you did go with one of the other quarterbacks, you're taking away your most dynamic player off the field. And I think, you know, Nick Saban, he kind of got a clue to that and was like, I just, I can't take this guy. This guy's just too special to take off the field. The interceptions, you know, they've done a great job working through that, the turnovers to where – He's efficient, and he is still able to make those big boom plays. He's not boom or bust anymore like he was early on. Now most of the time it's just boom. I agree with Alabama Nature Boy about the entire improvement, but, Nick, I am going to harp on that quarterback position because you take Miro away from the Crimson Tide, and what do you have? This team would be 9-3. and three. You think 9-3? and three? I, I would I would have to agree Jaylen that that's Milrow probably... Jalen Milrow has pulled some plays out of his butt, man, and saved y'all on numerous occasions. Like, uh, just in, in that LSU game, like, he, every now and then, he would just... It, <laughs> what he, On third down, he would either scramble for it or he would just... 11 out of 14 he, on third down conversions. He is just a special, special player. And, and listen, it hasn't been from what you mentioned. Nick, I want you to look up Alabama's leading rusher right now? Because you, you mentioned about how they haven't had that 1,000-yard rusher that they've had in the past, that alpha dog at running back. And and part of that is due to Milrow's legs and his ability to, to scramble out of the pocket. And there's been times to where he's hurt it so much. Be patient in the pocket. Go through your progressions. Be patient in the pocket to where he's had huge holes to run and is chosen to stay in the pocket and to throw the ball to wide receivers because there hasn't been an elite wide receiver for Alabama this year either. Jermaine Burton right. has caught his fair share of explosive plays, he, 
But there hasn't been that Devontae Smith. The there hasn't been that Julio Jones. The 2023 leading rusher at Alabama is technically Jace McClellan because they count sack yards okay. against rush yards. Okay, so, so, and, and that's fair. I mean, I understand that. How, how many yards does Jace have total on the season? 675. I mean, that's like by far the least by a running back. I mean, this is the probably, you know, in the Nick Saban era, the worst rushing attack he's had in terms of his running backs. I would say since his first year, it is one of the lowest totals that you see from a running back. Just nothing special. And and, I I mean, it doesn't have. And and Jace, to me, is an NFL type guy. He's an NFL type back. Now, Jameer Gibbs. We're seeing what he's capable of doing in the NFL. His one year with the Crimson Tide. And you can go down the list of Alabama backs all you want to in the Nick Saban era. And you can call it running back you if you want to. Because there's a time in Nick Saban's coaching tenure to where you have four NFL running backs on one roster in the same year. And that's how dominant the running game has been. But, you know, I I think that you still have the opportunity here to see Nick Saban. Somebody in the app says, is this Saban's best coaching job? I'm going to say absolutely it is. Absolutely, because you look at riding the ship early. I don't know if we can say that because there's not – with when, you, when you're talking about Nick Saban, a guy who's won multiple national championships, yeah. I think Nick Saban's best coaching job has to always end with a national championship. Right. That's when that's when you know that you've got like Kirby Smart has had and Ed Orgeron had the entire offense and the entire defense going to the NFL. Right. This entire defense, this entire offense is not going to the NFL. That's why you have to look when you know you got them dudes and Alabama is just playing to the standard that's been set. And what I love here for these naysayers, especially Terry on Arnold. Terry on Arnold, if you look at his secret weapon that he's talked about, the secret weapon for Terry on Arnold this year, he came into the beginning of the season talking about Lank and what Lank meant to him. Let all naysayers know. There's been plenty of naysayers. And, Nick, I don't know if you have that clip up to where uh, we can hear from Terry on Arnold what he see. said and who he said is Alabama's secret weapon. But – in the, in the app, oh, Alabama's used more running backs this year regularly. They normally go too deep, and we've seen three get prime minutes this year. Yes, three running backs because you're staying fresh, and Terrion Arnold did chime in, number three defensively, as to what Alabama's secret sauce is this year. Man, my, my relationship with Terry, I would say, I mean, she's almost like a second mom. Uh, one thing that I would say, when I came here, it wasn't fake. And it hasn't been fake since I've been here. Like, she really cares about all of us, and she does a really, really good job with playing. And honestly, Coach Saban and her, they're the type of people that will give you a shirt off their back. People don't really get a chance to have a close relationship with him because they think, like, oh, man, it's Nick Saban. Plus, on the other hand, like, our secondary, that's our coach. Like, coach me, coach. And even the situation that happened in Mississippi State game with him yelling at me is just a test. To, that's why you come here. And in my relationship with Miss Terry, I would say, is second to none. And I love her, and I think uh, we'll have that lifelong relationship. Not, not the best audio quality there. I think they were recording that with Nick Saban's laptop <laughs> microphone. But Miss Terry, the secret weapon. Yeah. yeah. And, and and someone else in the app says, why do people continue to listen to naysayers that doubt 
Saban, he hasn't lost his edge, and he never will regardless of how much some people wish he would. I agree. I don't think Nick Saban has lost any of his edge. Now, Miss Terry, the secret weapon behind this, told him earlier, you saw us in the Mississippi State game. She absolutely, she didn't attend it, but what did she tell him prior to that Mississippi State game, Nick? One in which Alabama totally dominated. You remember what she told Nick Saban during that game? No, nah, fill me in. She told him, look, you need to fuss a little bit more. Oh, you yeah. need to get yeah. after your coaches Eating and players a little, a little bit, bit more. more. Yeah. And it resulted in a 40-17 to 17 win. And yeah. it was the first game that Miss Terry didn't make on the road there. And, and you saw the 40-17 to 17 dominant performance over the Mississippi State Bulldogs. So, Miss Terry, even though Coach Saban had the reminder, hey, don't get caught looking ahead. We've got Tennessee Chattanooga coming up this week. It, it's been a key part of Alabama's success this season. Uh, we can look ahead. <laughs> Let's You're going to look, look ahead. ahead? Let's look ahead. I'm already looking ahead. It's a two-week preview for the Iron Bowl, as well, far as I'm concerned. Th there's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with knowing that Alabama is going to play Georgia for the SEC championship. And we'll talk about that Iron Bowl and preparing for New Mexico State for the Auburn Tigers and one that writes for AL.com and the Auburn Tigers Miss Ansley Lee coming Ansley, up next Ansley Ainsley Ainsley <laughs> Miss Ainsley Lee coming up next here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. And joining us after these commercial Messages will be Ainsley Lee from AL.com covering the Auburn Tigers, and she does a tremendous job and has gotten some great insight from Hugh Freeze this week, not only in his press conferences, has talked to Peyton Thorne as well. So look forward to hearing from her as the Auburn Tigers are in a... They're picking it up, man. This I, has they, been a great are. first season for Hugh Freeze, and can he cap it off and make it one of the best first seasons ever in an Iron Bowl, but even even if they can't, this has still been a win for Auburn. We're going to talk to her about the word renaissance and what that word means, not only to Hugh Freeze, but Peyton Thorne as well. Gulf Coast Tide and Tiger Report. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Nick. Welcome back to the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you as we get ready one week before 
the huge Iron Bowl is upon us. We know who's in the SEC championship game, but before we get there, the Auburn Tigers have to take on a New Mexico State team that I know Coach Hugh, Hugh Freeze has talked about by being a very good team and a team that he says, in his words, could sting us. And who better than to talk about that than Ainsley Lee, AL.com Auburn beat reporter, joins us this afternoon. How's everything going today? Not too bad, Corey. How are you doing? Absolutely blessed by the best. I know you're excited to not only finish this home game here for the Auburn Tigers coming up with New Mexico State, but to get a chance to experience your first Iron Bowl at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Yeah, no doubt. Um, super excited. Uh, you know, my, my stepmother is, a, is an Alabama fan. And, um, so, you know, the, watching the Iron Bowl was certainly always a staple growing up, and it was always, uh, you know, fighting over the televisions because my dad's a Florida State fan. I obviously went to Florida, so there was a lot of, like, arguing over what game was, like, on the big TV <laughs> and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm super excited to experience it in person. Um, obviously, you know, the, the home atmosphere at Jordan-Hare anytime there's a home game is unbelievable, unmatched. And so I just – you know, I, I really can't wait to see what this place is like, um, obviously, with, when the when that team from up there in Tuscaloosa comes to town. We're going to talk a couple of things, all Hugh Freeze here for the Auburn Tigers. You wrote a great article yesterday on AL.com about what the word renaissance means in definition. <laughs> and I know that Coach Freeze said and joked that that was a big word, but it is a really a great word to describe what has happened with this Auburn offense the last few weeks. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, um, you know, it's one of those things where we, obviously we had no choice but to talk about it, you know, when it was kind of sputtering along early in the season. Um, but, it, you know, certainly if I'm an Auburn fan, I'm probably looking at these stories and saying, man, can we just please stop talking about the inefficiency? Because, I mean, it was just kind of felt like the same thing every single week. And, um, you know, there really just wasn't a ton of interest in it and or positive interest in it, certainly, because it just really wasn't getting the job done, right? And then, you know, we've seen, I think, since the Ole Miss game was it, this thing really just kind of start rolling a little bit differently. And obviously the biggest change of that was, um, you know, kind of squashing that two-quarterback system between Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford. And, um, you know, kind of what we've gathered is Hugh Freeze just kind of went in and said, hey, this is what we're doing. And he's like, if it doesn't work, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But this is what we're doing. I don't want to see two quarterbacks rotate. We're going with Peyton, and um, we're just we're just gonna ride. We're we're gonna we're gonna ride until the wheels fall off, essentially. And um, you know, he says now, obviously, seeing this kind of offense produce a little bit more like a well-oiled machine. He's like, I really wish, um, you know, I would have had that conversation a little bit sooner. Um, you know, you look at that, that game against Ole Miss, you look at that game against Georgia, those are all one possession games, and they all kind of featured that two-quarterback. Um, well, I guess the Ole, Ole Miss game didn't, but um, regardless, um, you know, it's something that he, he wishes he would have done sooner. Um, and we're just seeing it work. I mean, granted, you take it all with a grain of salt, given the kind of stretch of schedule Auburn's been on. You know, they haven't played the best teams, and they won't play the best team on Saturday. Um, but, I mean, look back to that Cal game. I mean, Cal's not a bad football program, but they're not great. Look at that Texas A&M game. Um, Texas A&M certainly isn't a bad program, but they're not great. And, you know, this offense just looks light and day, uh, night and day. Uh, you know, 
when you when you compare it to kind of what it did early in the season and what it does now. Ainsley Lee, our guest here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report on WNSP 105.5. And if there's an opponent that can sting the Auburn Tigers, it's an opponent that Hugh Freeze is very familiar with as his Liberty squad took on New Mexico State a year ago. And their quarterback had awesome numbers against Liberty. And even though Hugh Freeze is, of course, not at Liberty any longer, he has a bunch of respect for New Mexico State Aggies and knows exactly the danger that they can present and the roadblock, how they can make it hard for Auburn to kind of idle down and coast into the Iron Bowl. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think – uh, I think this this week is always scary, I think, you know, just because you have so many teams, I think the SEC specifically, that, you know, they they kind of have this weird, you know, easier, lesser caliber game that can maybe slip up, you know, that second to last SEC game to the rivalry game or what have you. And so this is always kind of like trap weekend, it feels like, um, you know, because everybody's looking forward to, to obviously rivalry weekend next week. Um so, I mean, you, you've got that. I mean, that's the first factor of it. Um, and especially for a team like Auburn, you're feeling really good, right? I mean, you go out and just absolutely dominate Arkansas. You're, feel, you're feeling great. And it's really easy to just kind of want to take a break before you get right into Iron Bowl week. Um, and, I mean, talking with Coach Freeze, talking to the players, um, you know, the, the leaders, the veterans on the team are doing their best to make sure that doesn't happen. And the intensity kind of, you know, continues to stay where it needs to be. Um, albeit, you know, a group of five opponents coming in. That said, Hugh Free says Monday he thinks this is the, you know, one of the better group of five opponents in the country. Uh, you know, they come in riding a six-game win streak. Um, he certainly, you know, he's he hasn't forgotten what happened last year at Liberty. Uh, granted, there was a lot going on. Um, you know, that was obviously when he was really kind of getting zeroed in on for for this Auburn job, and so obviously there's a lot of distraction that comes with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Diego Pavia is, is, you know, as New Mexico State's quarterback, he put up, I mean, three rushing touchdowns and three passing touchdowns last year against Liberty. Um, you know, he's he's no joke. Um, he is, I think, Coach Kill said that he's day-to-day this week um, dealing with a, you know, maybe a little hamstring tweak. Um, and you've got to kind of wonder how they kind of handle that if you're New Mexico State because – you know, you're certainly not favored to win this ball game. You're gonna get you're gonna get the payout from Auburn regardless. And I think I believe um, that New Mexico State is still competing for for a conference championship. And so I think whether or not what they do with that quarterback situation on Saturday is something big to watch, just because he is so good and he is so mobile. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you know Hugh Freeze. I don't think is lying whenever he says uh, that you know New Mexico State has Auburn's full attention this week. Well, I tell you, it's been an outstanding week for Hugh Freeze. You have the dominating win over Arkansas, 48-10. to 10. Then you turn around and you get a verbal commit from the number one safety out of junior college, Laquan Robinson. And then Hugh Freeze becomes a grandfather for the second time with his daughter delivering a healthy baby. I, I know that that had to be a great week and whether it's a Saturday, Sunday, Monday for Hugh Freeze, it doesn't get much better than that for him. Yeah, no, I, I wrote that on Monday that, yeah, you're going to be hard-pressed to find, you know, maybe somebody's kind of had a week quite like him. Um, you know, the, the win at Arkansas was, um, you know, granted, I mean, yeah, you can take it with a grain of salt all you want. Arkansas is not very good this season. Um, but, 
you know, Hugh Freeze said it best himself. You don't see many SEC um, wins quite like that, where it's just, I mean, utter domination, right? And I mean, he said he said Monday, you know, try he tried his best to be polite, but you know, he's like we could we could have put some more damage on that scoreboard if they really wanted to. But you know, he's been on the he's been on the other end of a, of a couple of those. So, um, you know, you, you don't gain too much doing that. But um, and then yeah, I mean, obviously the the job that he's done on the recruiting trail the last week or so. Uh, has been great. You mentioned Laquan Robinson. Uh, obviously, they they flipped Jamonta Waller away from Florida. He's a four-star edge rusher. Um, that's obviously a big win. Um, and then I believe they added to their 2025 class, class with a four-star tight end. Uh, that, that 2025 class is coming along quite nicely as well. Um, and then yeah, and then obviously on Monday to you know be able to celebrate uh, grandbaby number two. Especially, and you know, you could tell he was pretty juiced up about that on Monday. And um, you know, he's always very generous with his time, but he was certainly looking forward to to getting out of his press conference uh, on Monday morning and getting over to the hospital. Absolutely, and I know that as football is in full swing, coming down the home stretch of the regular season before you hit postseason eligibility, Auburn has made it. Bowl itself bowl eligible. Bruce Pearl and the Auburn Tigers have a huge basketball game tonight against Notre Dame, trying to bounce back from that loss that they had on TV against the Baylor program. But I know that there's a huge level of excitement for Auburn in Neville Arena this season. Yeah, you know, it seems like there always is, or at least that's what I've been told. I mean, obviously, I'm just in my first year here and haven't covered a a basketball season and you know growing up um being a florida fan you know we we had some exciting years of basketball and i think um you know maybe todd golden can do that there at florida again but um you know it's been a while since i've had to really seriously cover basketball and um you know these the auburn fans here aren't letting me forget you know it's it's important you know it's um you know once once you know once football season ends you don't get you don't get much break um and it's it's right in the it's a college basketball, and, um, you know, this is a super fun program to be around from what I've seen. The guys are a lot of fun. Bruce Pearl's obviously a character in himself. Um, and, and they're rounding. I mean, I think that, that game that they played against Baylor showed a lot of promise. Um, you know, I think it was maybe a bit disappointing to obviously lead for as much of that game as they did um, and not come away with it. But, you know, for, for a season opener, first of all, I think it speaks volumes that Bruce Pearl wants to challenge his team in that way and go play those type of games. This non-conference schedule they've got is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, obviously going to play at Barclays tonight against a, against a program um, like Notre Dame is super exciting, and um, I'll certainly be tuning into that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to, again, just kind of – it's going to be a different pace of basketball coverage. Not that I had, didn't, didn't do it at Florida, not that Florida's not a program that warrants it. Um, but, you know, this is a team that's, you know, Auburn is a, is a team that's recently, uh, you know, had a lot of success and it's certainly got quite a following and, um, you know, a very passionate following at that. And so, so I'm excited to kind of be able to cover that and um, kind of do, do a winter season a little bit differently. Well, I'll tell you before we get into basketball, we'll backtrack one more time into football and get your predictions for New Mexico State at Auburn does this Auburn offensive line and Peyton Thorne and Jarquez Hunter continue to turn it up a notch and continue to have a lot of success and momentum going into the Iron Bowl yeah I think so um you know as tantalizing as you know maybe to take a break or take a rest or kind of sit on your heels this week might provide um you know 
Jordan Hare, the atmosphere there, I mean, if that doesn't get you amped up, I don't know what will. And I think the guys will kind of feed off that. And, um, you know, I think I predicted something along the lines of like a 48-13, something very similar to, um, to that Arkansas game last week. Um, like I said, I think the availability and the health of New Mexico State's quarterback uh, will play a pretty big role in kind of what they're able to do on offense. Um, but, I mean, I, I expect this thing to keep rolling. Um, you know, I think – the momentum is just kind of peaking right at the most opportune time if you're Auburn. And, um, you know, we know what uh, a win in two weeks will do, can do um, for a program, um, and certainly for, for, you know, recruiting efforts. And just, I mean, a, a win in year one over Alabama, if you're Hugh Freeze, is, is, that just sets the tone. And so I think if um, any of those players in that locker room, they understand the opportunity that's ahead of them. And, uh, I think, oh yeah, I think it'll, I think it'll keep rolling this weekend. I will say this too: if you think back to Nick Saban's first year as the head football coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, seven and six was his overall record, and a lot of people forget about that and losing to Louisiana Monroe at home in Coach Saban's first year and then being able to get everything turned around and sustaining it. Auburn now at 6-4, and four, looking to go to 7-4. and four. And if you were to say at the beginning of the season, you could end this thing with close to eight wins, either one of those wins coming against Alabama and or in a bowl game, I think that would be huge momentum moving forward for the Auburn Tiger faithful and Hugh Freeze especially. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it is kind of crazy, I think, um, to kind of look back to where we were and, the, you know, the kind of things we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. Um, granted, I, and I've kind of given Auburn a little bit of grace the entire time just because that stretch that they had was just, I mean, just brutal. Um, and, you know, to be competitive, I understand the frustrations with, like, if we're that competitive, why didn't we get one of those wins or whatever. And I know there's no moral victory, certainly in the SEC, but those performances against teams like, Georgia and Ole Miss. I mean, that's that's a lot to hang your hat on. Um, and like I said, just to, this the turnaround has been really impressive. And you can say what you want about the opponents they've played these last couple of weeks. And um, but an SEC team is an SEC team, and um, anybody can win on any given Saturday. And so I think it's been really impressive, just kind of the turnaround that um, this team and I, you know just the the ability to stay engaged. I think says a lot about um, maybe what's going on behind closed doors and what's going on in that locker room that we don't see because. You know, there are a lot of teams in this country that probably would have folded on that four-game losing streak. Um, so I've been impressed by the, by the work that uh, you know, the coaching staff and the players and all the guys have been able to do to kind of write this shift down the stretch. Ainsley Lee joining us this evening here on the Gulf Coast Auto Tech Tide and Tiger Report. If people want to follow your day-to-day -day coverage of the Auburn program as we prepare for this last game here before the Iron Bowl, how can people do so? Sure. Uh, so lots of stuff every day, all week um, at AL.com, um, you know, both for myself and my colleague, my beat partner, Matt Cohen, um, on Twitter. I am, you can find me at Ainsley Lee underscore, um, you know, should typically share all my work there and a lot of, you know, other bad opinions that might pertain to music and food and that kind of thing. But in airports recently, I've learned apparently people <laughs> like the Atlanta airport. I don't, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you, you can find me uh, find me in my stuff there. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Have a good one. War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. 
listening to WNSP. 